You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, J-Town. This is our Advent series called God Revealed. Uh, well, my name is Jordan. I'm one of the ministers here at Sojourn J-Town. I just want to welcome you. As I know, already I think we've had three or four welcomings from all these people just saying thank you for still being a part of the church, even though we're not in the same building together. Uh, it's beautiful that we have opportunities like this, and I just feel exceptionally honored today uh, because it's the first Sunday of Advent, and we are not meeting in person. Uh, so as we want to be in person together, connect with one another, see a face, <laughs> and just see a smile, get a hug, that's not really our life right now. And uh, so there is a longing in this season, uh, both great and, I don't want to say small, maybe great and great. We're, we're awaiting the coming of Christ, but we're still awaiting some normalcy. And so still having this opportunity is beautiful because I know you're struggling the same. And while this never gets less weird staring at a camera, it's what we have. And there's a blessing in that. And so as we come together, what I really love about uh, getting this opportunity is, uh, as Elliot already explained, Advent's this opportunity for us to uh, reflect on Christ. But Advent is, uh, when, when I say it's the first Sunday of Advent, you know, this is really, I, you know, marking uh, a note about the church calendar. I don't know if that's a common, uh, you know, idea of, of many of y'all's, but really what that means is the church for centuries has had this calendar where we try to, you know, say every local church has its own sermons that it needs to focus on that's, that's helpful to those specific churches. But once every, you know, couple of weeks or months, it's good to come together no matter if we're separated uh, by different uh, locations or viruses or maybe just time that we know that we're in the same place biblically and with the same focus both in our hearts and in our minds as other brothers and sisters. So as we're meeting today in this kind of odd medium, it's refreshing to know that other churches, not just today but for centuries, are coming together on the same topic, looking with that longing heart for the coming of Christ a second time. And I, I just find that, you know, during this time, wanting to be unified and connected, we have a fear, we have a loss, we have sadness. We call it FOMO. I don't know if this is a common uh, language to a lot of you, but FOMO is an abbreviation for fear of missing out. It's a leading cause for some of the spike and, and rise in, in counseling sessions right now around the world. Um, it's a very common just issue that our culture finds in this modern era. Uh, we're used to accessibility and immediacy and just things, and to take that away from us or to, to not be able to be with someone, we have a fear of missing out. And so we have a real loss right now. And so as we await Christ's return, and looking for that comfort, as that one song had for us. Um, we're looking for uh, little pieces of comfort along the way. And that's why I think this, this passage today specifically just hits us really um, at, a, at a sweet, sweet place if we let it. 
And that's going to be a, a big theme here today. I want, to, I want to take a step back and just, um, you know, as I was reflecting on this, we had Thanksgiving, and, and Thanksgiving, any holiday can be kind of hard with family sometimes. Um, I had a great uh, set of parents and siblings, and but still, we bump heads, and it's awkward, and uh, it can be tricky just to navigate life with other people. And so having like a, a week like Thanksgiving, it can be hard. We're reminded that people don't think like us. <laughs> people don't want to do life like us and so forth. And so, um, you know, this, this really hit home because uh, just a week ago, uh, remember Will Smith uh, back in the 90s, early 90s, had this show called Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and, and he decided to have a reunion show, kind of like a documentary where you kind of see behind the scenes how all these uh, actors reflect on and think about their time together. And there was one time, there was one specific scene that Will brings up in this documentary where he says uh, he had a really sweet time working with uh, Uncle Phil, uh, James Avery, the actor. And he says that uh, there was this one scene that, that kind of goes down as one of the most popular scenes from the series, but, but ultimately a very poignant scene with relationships in general of any kind of sitcom because it, it didn't hide behind laughter. It just it just went in. It went all in on the messiness of life sometimes. And, um, and so they're reminiscing. And if you don't know the scene, it's Will had to, had to leave Philadelphia to go to Bel Air uh, because life was tough. He was being raised by a single mom and he needed uh, other family to help at that time. And so he goes and lives with his uncle and, and his aunt and uh, cousins. And in that whole process, it's, it's, he, he knew his dad for you know, a couple years in his life, but I think four or five, somewhere around then, his dad leaves. And, uh, and it's a backstory that's like, you know, surface is scratched a little bit, and, uh, but lo and behold, season four or five, somewhere around there, towards the end of the series, uh, his dad just shows up, and they reconnect, and it's funny because Will is trying to show himself through the whole series as being this man. Uh, he's grown, he has it all together, and right when his dad comes back, he just becomes a little child again, and it's very endearing and sweet, but then at the end of that episode, his dad is stressed out. He wasn't planning on reconnecting that level, and he tries to run away again. And so uh, Will catches him before he runs away, and uh, his dad has to fess up. Dad leaves, and Will uh, just kind of unpacks a lot of emotion in the scene, and, it, and it's just messy, and it's dirty, and it's just, it's just him being raw and vulnerable. And he's, uh, it kind of goes through the five stages of grief, and, and he's having a lot of anger and things like this pop up. And Uncle Phil is just sitting there taking it, hearing him, keeping eye contact with him, showing a steady, constant love and acceptance of where he is. And uh, we have a picture of it because it's just a, a really good shot of, of Will stepping into this kind of confused anger, is the best I can say. And he's just trying to stare at this man who's kind of holding place for his own father, venting about his father to him. And the reaction of Uncle Phil is just one of embrace. He holds him and hugs him. It's very tender. And I, I, I can't get that out of my head this week because I feel like this is a lot of us at times, especially in the season of COVID. And as we were looking through the verses that uh, this Advent season is going to have us work through, uh, we have this passage that Davin just read for us. And I love it. I love it because it shows the same kind of heart 
I'm reminded of a, a passage or a song from uh, Lori Schaefer, one of my favorite worship artists, and it's called Hush. And she just talks about how I know you're hurting inside, and I know you're lonely, and I know you feel completely overlooked. You feel like you're missing out. You feel like you're on the fringe. You're ostracized. You're not in the group. Sometimes you feel like God himself is just being silent. And the, the, the chorus is essentially, hush, little baby, don't say a word. Your father has gone to build you a new house. And he's coming back and he's going to bring you there. And that, that just keeps coming to mind because I feel like that's the story of not just Jacob in this passage, but this is us. This is us wondering where God is. Maybe not during COVID, right? Maybe not during having to, to stay at home and, and stay away from churches. I'm 38, almost 39. I mean, I feel like this is a common thought sometimes throughout 39 years of my life. I feel really close to God, and sometimes I'm like, where's God? He feels silent. He feels distant. And this passage really unpacks a lot of that. So it's very timely. And so here's today's main point. Here's the main theme. God is present with you. God is present. He is here. He's with you. So I don't know what your, what your week had in store connecting with family. I hope that, that it was a thriving week. I hope it was a blessing, but I imagine it wasn't for a lot. And I just want you to remember that God is here. So let's take a moment and pray, and then we'll jump in and unpack this text. So pray with me. Father, I just want to start off again by asking for you to speak, not me. That whatever is true, good, and beautiful, I pray it falls on just fertile soil of, of the hearts of any listener. And God, I pray that anything said by me that might be a little over-anxious, maybe in a kind of Peter way, <laughs> I pray if it doesn't fit according to your will, it fall on deaf ears. But God, I pray that through this, we are reminded in a very core level, that you are with us. I pray all this in Christ's name, amen. So there's a lot going on here in this passage. Uh, just to kind of recap, here's Jacob's story so far. He's born a competitor. <laughs> He's grabbing his brother's ankle, coming out. Uh, his twin brother Esau, Esau was born first, so he had the blessing of inheritance kind of taking on the family's uh, mantle, if you will, I guess, or, or our role as, as patriarch. And then pretty much soon after, Jacob has his famous story of um, swindling and, and, and cheating his brother, who, for all we know, I mean, he was a human, so he had sin, but uh, was living a relatively good life. And Jacob is thinking, well, my dad, Isaac, is getting more and more... Um, you know, vision impaired, he's, he's going blind. I, I think I have an opportunity to uh, cheat the family. And so he, he pretends to be his brother. And he goes to his dad and says, okay, I'll have my inheritance now. And he's like, well, you, you, Jacob? And he says, uh, Esau? And he's like, yeah. And so he, he essentially gets the inheritance. And he lies. He cheats. 
And that's about it. <laughs> that's Jacob's story up to this point. A lot of downs in his up and down kind of life. Here's what I love. In verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and went to Haran. He reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones from the place, put it there at his head, and lay down in that place. This is powerful. He, he stops, kind of works in some pragmatic, you know, I, gotta, I need a pillow, I'm going to use this, I'm going to put this under my head and go to sleep and rest. That's going to come up in a minute, and, and it goes on to say he dreamed, and this is a famous story called, a lot of times referenced as Jacob's Ladder, but it says a stairway here, and I think this is beautiful for a reason in a moment, but a stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching the sky, and God's angels were going up and down, and the Lord was standing there beside him. The Lord had already met him and come down to him, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac, I'll give you and your offspring the land in which you're lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth and will spread out toward the west and the east and the north and the south. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I love that he took time to say he stopped and rested because it was night. He took one of the stones and essentially fashioned a pillow. I don't, I imagine that's some more, a little bit more comfortable than just laying flat on the ground, but that's what he had. What I love about this is he's aware, Jacob, this pretty selfish, individualistic, autonomous person is aware of his own needs. How many of you? myself included. This is, this is pretty common to me. How many of you go through your day and you get to say evening time and uh, you realize that you've been coming out pretty sideways because you're hangry, whether it be with friends or family, and you, you think and you're like, why am I so like triggery right now? And you look at your life and you're like, oh, I didn't eat lunch today or maybe even breakfast. This is like a pretty common thing. Or I didn't sleep well last night. Well, why? I, I stayed up watching TV and you know, or whatever else. And you're not doing that self-care kind of, you know, listening to your own body and your own needs kind of uh, pattern. And it puts us in a weird spot. And so I, I like that Jacob, or really Moses here when he wrote Genesis, took time that God wanted us to know that he stopped, he slept, he brought out a pillow. He recognized the time of day, he recognized his life, he recognized the season and he didn't force something that couldn't work. Instead, he just rested. I want to put a pin in that. We'll come back to it in a moment. But it goes on. And I mentioned that we have, you know, this ladder reference in other translations. But, you know, in this translation, it says stairway. And I love this because I think the last time I preached here, we were talking about the Tower of Babel. And here, man had come together and made this, uh, if I'm pronouncing it right, ziggurat uh, kind of structure. It's like a house that's really stair-stepped, so you can get up from the outside to some degree. And uh, they're trying to build this tower that reaches the heavens, and they were trying and attempting to transcend and get there. And God said, no, I'm not included in this. I'm going to disperse you, bring confusion And here we have the 
opposite. God shows a stairway and is included in this relationship. And while people are still being dispersed and separated, they're joined with blessing. They're connected with a relationship with God that, that transcends space and time. So while you're there and I'm here, we can know that God is still in the, in the midst of us, blessing us, keeping us one people. So it's a beautiful bookend if you think about those two together. But he goes on and, and says, look, in verse 15, I think we have this, the next couple passages, look, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I'll bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then he says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he, he said, surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. He was afraid. He said, what an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. And so early the next morning, Jacob took the stone that was near his head and he used that and set it up as a marker. He poured oil on top of it and named it the, the place of Bethel, the previously the city named Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, if God will be with me, watch over me during this journey I'm making, and if he provides me with the food to eat and the clothing to wear, and if, you return, if I return safely to my father's family, then the Lord will be my God. This stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house. There's a lot here. Here's a man that if you, if you break it down and start looking at how he talks about this, it's almost like he's challenging, like if God does this and this and this, and I'm, I'm sure you remember being in school and you're like, God, if you get me out of this test or if you, if you help me pass this thing or do get through this kind of situation, I'm, gonna, I'm never going to sin again or I'm going to be the best Christian ever or something like that. I don't know, maybe that's just me. I, I've done that. Uh, and so, but God doesn't like smite him. God doesn't just come crashing down on him and say, no, 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 I'm doing this, so you just have faith. This is kind of how the story plays out. God does these things for him. And Jacob is continuing to look for that to happen. This is huge. Here's what I mean. If we take this verse here, I think if we're honest, I guess I just want to ask, the, ask it this way. If you're honest, are you in the practice of looking for God's promises? Do you feel at peace, relaxed even, knowing that God's yes means yes and his no means no, that he's honest, that he has integrity, and he is faithful? And I'm not talking about some detached kind of like bird's eye view looking down at your life and saying, well, yeah, just kind of with empirical data, I can see that God has done these things, so therefore, yes, I trust him. I'm asking if you just wake up and expect to see him fulfilling this relational promise with you daily. Let me put it another way. Do you expect him to want to be your friend when you wake up? Do you expect to see him fulfilling his desire to be accessible? To be loving? To just sit there and hold space for you while you're sad or angry or hurting 
lonely. Do you expect him to want to look you in the eyes? Do you expect your God to let you maybe just get his shoulder all wet by your tears, just crying into his, his chest? Do you look for your dad in the minute-by-minute minute moments of life? Or, like I have and many do, uh, do you just do that when you put on your khakis or your nice blouse and go to church once a week? Um, or do you only expect those types of things when you sit down for that daily quiet time? And I don't mean to put quiet time on that kind of side of things. Quiet times are beautiful. But I think a lot of times our quiet times end up being no different than a Centrum or Flintstone tablet. We eat them and we take them and we go about our day. We don't sit with it. Or another way to put it is we're coming up on Christmas, right? So uh, we're used to, as kids, maybe writing down a, a list, maybe to give to family or maybe to, to give to Santa. And we send that off to Santa. And, and what is that relationship with Santa? but a monologue, right? We're not intending to hear back from Santa. We want presents. But we write our one-way kind of monologue. I was about to say dialogue, but that's really what it ends up being. That's the type of quiet time I'm talking about. And I think too often we get in these patterns of wondering why God isn't showing up, but we limit all the capabilities he could show up in to just this narrow way of doing life. God, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to open up my Bible and I'm going to read. I'll give you 10 verses. <laughs> then we read and we close our Bible and we pray maybe. We go about. Here's a way I think we can put this differently. Uh, here's a quote from uh, David Benner says, prayer is easily ruined when we make it a project. Part of a a self-improvement plan. I think we have a, there we go. Prayer is easily ruined when, when we make it a project, like a part of a self-improvement plan. Rather than pushing yourselves forward by resolve, allow God to lead you by desire. The most typical evidence of grace at work within us is not awareness of duty, but awareness of desire. If you read Genesis and you, and you just kind of live with Jacob for a bit, you'll see that this man was a very passionate, impulsive person. He was kind of hasty, like Peter. And um, God worked with it. Another way we can put it, here's, a, here's another quote for you. I like how this one words it. We, we cannot attain the presence of God because we're already totally in the presence of God. What's missing is awareness. I don't want to rush by that too quickly, but I don't want to belabor it either. So here's what I'm, I'm getting at. God is telling Jacob, a man who's essentially been acting completely in autonomy, that he is there with him. God is telling this man, I'm with you. Despite how selfish this other man, this guy Jacob, is being. So, 
how do we maintain awareness? How do we keep this awareness? Because a lot of times I feel like God is silent. And I just want to take a step back and say, well, how often are you talking to your friends when you're hanging out with them? I bet you sat on the couch beside a family member this week and didn't say much, but you still felt maybe connected. Maybe, maybe you just at least knew that they're there with you. Not like physically, because we see them doing that, but maybe emotionally. So sometimes words don't need to have to be said. Words aren't necessarily always needed, but I think an awareness that that heart is there for you is what makes that possible. Here's, here's what I'm getting at. He takes the stone that was really just a pillow for him, and then after encountering God, he wants to remember this moment. And so he takes the stone and, and uses it as an Ebenezer, this, this kind of monument. So anytime he's back here, he can look at that stone and say, this is where I met God. This is where God didn't expect me to have it all right or all figured out, and he just said, I'm here with you. This is the place of God. Um, there's a, a theologian um, named James Smith, James K. Smith, if, if you want to look him up. He has a lot of great work, but he has this famous, just kind of in the past 10 years, this, this pitch uh, to do life uh, more liturgical. And, and some would say that a church like ours is liturgical. Some would say it's not. And like we think of liturgy as like a Catholic thing or Orthodox thing. But what, what James Smith is saying is, is essentially we all have liturgies. Now, what a liturgy is, is just a rhythm of life that helps us kind of realign or recenter or something like that. So, for example, uh, have you ever, like, brushed your teeth in the wrong pattern? Like, maybe you brush your teeth before a shower or after or something, and then you do it the, the opposite way, and it's like, oh, I'm kind of thrown off. Or you don't have that morning coffee, and you get it, like, midday, and you, again, kind of thrown off. You know, so he's saying we have these patterns of our life already. Why not slow down to take a moment and treat these patterns of life as times with God? So what would it look like to brush your teeth as if you're sitting there beside God, like your, your, your family member at the, you know, on the couch? What would it look like to even make a cup of coffee and do so for the glory of God? And I think this is Jacob's awareness. Like he just wakes up and does this. This is not his lifestyle before this. And we're going to notice this becomes a pattern in Jacob's life afterwards. He starts making these testimonial moments of his life where he can look back and say, yes, God is in the practice of still showing up and being with me. And guys, when we get removed from that and we kind of detach and we live way up here and we get away from the heart, that becomes our norm. We're wondering, where's God? We're trying to live in that bird's eye view where God should be, having it all figured out wondering why he didn't show up this one specific way that we were hoping or expecting. Instead, just set, set, you know, kind of stepping back and being like a child, and just anticipating and hoping that your father is going to be present and show up. So I have three things, three short, just quick things that I want to just look at to kind of take away from this passage. And, and here's the first God wants to do life with you. I don't, I don't know your family life. And so much of our views of bosses or mentors, spouses, come from a broken view of our parents. And I imagine there's a lot of that bearing on your relationship with God. 
I was blessed with really good parents, but I can still, I can still find faults <laughs> if I look for them, right? That's because I'm an adult and I be, you know, you just kind of grow a little bit more like pessimistic at times in life and become more aware and, of, of the real life. But let's, let's, let me step back and go to this child metaphor. If you think about how many times Jesus calls us to be like children, I think it's really shocking. My daughter, Ruby, loves, loves sharing stories. And not just stories, thoughts, ideas, ventures, you know, just entrepreneurial, you know, hopes that she has. Uh, we, we were with some friends this week, and I think it was uh, a year or so ago when we were there with them. Uh, we had bought her some uh, lemonade stand kind of stuff. We're going to make a lemonade stand on the Saturday, and we we're telling her about it on Friday, and she was so eager, and the other kids were eager too. And uh, so uh, we were sleeping. Uh, at the normal, you know, four o'clock hour in the morning. And uh, we heard uh, around 6 a.m. or so that Ruby had gone out, I think in the four o'clock hour, knocking on doors in the neighborhood. Uh, it's a very safe neighborhood. They play in the cul-de-sac there, you know, so it's a pretty common thing to just be there and, and be out in, the, in front of the neighbors. Well, she thought it's normal enough to go door to door at like 4.30 or 5 a.m., knocking on doors, waking people up, saying, hey, come to my lemonade stand today. That's Ruby in a nutshell. She's all passion, raw just unbridled love. And I think a lot of us were. She can talk my head off in the best way possible. But for some reason, we don't really do this with God, right? We make our, our, these little monologue, quiet times, this one-way route. And, and I, I, can, I can tell you this, Ruby is not as worried about making sure I know what she wants as much as she is passionate to get me involved in it. I think that's most kids. We think what they're saying is trivial sometimes. And I bet they don't care at all about those trivial points they're making. They just want you to show affection, desire, connection. So here's my question. Are you afraid of showing up going zero to 60 in a minute with God? or in a second, uh, with God? Like, are you willing to just go all in and be that passionate with him? Letting him know your desires, your, your, your fears, your, your anger, your sadness, your joys, your hopes. If not, are you only doing that because you want him to reward you and do those things for you? Or are you doing it because you want to invite him in and just live with him? You want him to be a part of your story? Talk his head off. <laughs> but here's the deal. But don't be afraid, and this is going to be hard, to slow down and, and, and just be still and sit with him. Because when I ask my daughter, does she feel like I'm connecting with her when my wife asks that, or does she feel loved? She'll say, yeah, and then she'll refer not to those times where we're talking about my little pony or... Uh, Ruby, if you're watching this, sorry, I don't know if you still like that. She has other things now. But um, it's, she will refer to times that I've forgotten where I just chose to sit and put my arm around her. Even if there's 10 seconds. That just matters so much to her because she knows she's safe. She knows I'm there, like physically. I'm willing to spend that time. Psalm 142, David makes this point 
And then he says, and the whole psalm is just making this, this uh, cry about feeling lonely and dejected and hated by everybody. He feels misunderstood. He, he feels that everything is a trap socially and relationally from others. And then he just says, but you, God, are here. You love me. Here's another way to, to put it. Uh, one of my favorite old school David Crowder songs uh, is a song called um, All I Can Say. And I'm, I'm going to read you just two short verses real quick. He says, Lord, didn't you see me crying? Didn't you hear me call your name? Didn't I give my heart to you? And I bet we can relate a lot to this. He says, I wish you'd remember where you set it down. And he says, this is all I have. This is all I can say. It's not much, but it's everything I got. And then he goes on and he says, I didn't notice that you were standing there. I didn't notice that you were holding me. I didn't notice that you were crying too. And I didn't know that it was you washing my feet. And a lot of times we wonder why God feels distant because he's not holding us the way we want to be held, but it's because he's probably washing our feet <laughs> or holding us in a different way, keeping us safe. And the only way you can stop to know when that's happening is to stop talking and look around, is to find him, is to ask him. And we have so much in our culture. I don't know how many Bibles I have in my office or devotions I have access to somewhere. We have more and more print, more and more things to do. At the end of the day, when I think back of times of true intimate connection with God and really feeling his presence, it's me just asking, God, can you just show up? Can you just hug me? The older I get, I don't do that with people. But I see my kids do it nonstop. And what do they get? They get me holding them. So God desires to be with you. Here's the second point. God is there loving you even when he's silent or you're resisting him. Fast forward. Now, Jacob, I think, had at least like 14 more years or so before this chapter. But if you're reading Genesis, it's only four chapters later. And I love that because while you could say, oh, he had so much life lived between this and, you know, I, I got to remember that too. I, I don't know if that's what Genesis is intending for you to, to see. In four chapters, very quickly after this, we have a famous story where he wrestles the angel of the Lord. If you've ever wrestled anybody five minutes, you know, 10 minutes, your arms and legs are like jello, right? Uh, and um, as... One Robert California once said, trust me, a nine-minute bout wrestling is the cardiovascular equivalent to running uphill for nine hours. I don't know how uh, medically sound that is, but we know that wrestling can take a lot out of you. And here's Jacob wrestling, not just through the night, but into the morning. So much so when the sun came up, the angel of the Lord was intending to leave, <laughs> And he said no, and he kept grabbing them, and he wouldn't let the angel of the Lord leave. And he said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. He was still looking for that blessing. 
mentioned four, year, four chapters earlier. And I wonder, are you doing that right now? Or have you called it quits and assume he's not going to bless you anymore? God is present, even when you feel resistance. I, I have had a really close, close people, not just person, but many people in my life, but there's one specific I just remember. Oh, they were at the doorway, sitting, ready, longing to be held by God. And they were wondering why it's not working, and I said, I don't know. Uh, all I can say is push in, be faithful, wrestle. And it was scary, and it was hard, and this person quit and has been very distant from the church ever since. And I think this is a lot of us at times in our lives. A relationship with Jesus is not easy. Here's the deal. Jacob connived, stole, lied, all this kind of stuff. God comes in. Great. Looks like a storybook ending for Jacob, right? Nope. Right after, before, you know, in those four chapters I was telling you, he gets swindled. He gets cheated. He gets lied to. He loses a lot. And now Esau's here ready to kill him. And I bet if, if that was any of us, we would be very prone to not worry about wrestling with the angel of the Lord. We would just wonder how to get away from not being killed by Esau. <laughs> and what happens? He wrestles. And he was blessed. I don't know if you know the ending of that story, but the angel of the Lord touched his hip, showing that any time he could have won, dislocated his hip. You could maybe make a point that he's metaphorically has a new walk for the rest of his life, but he also has his name changed to Israel. There's still works of blessings happening. It's just maybe sometimes in a different way. And what's beautiful is he goes and meets Esau right after that, and Esau forgives him instead of kills him. Now, that is not at all logically what should have happened from every, all the data that, that Jacob had, but I think the, the point we should take away from this is Jacob first cared about sitting with God and hearing from God more than figuring out his life. Here's the last point, just briefly. Life often calls us to push in and fight, but here's the fact. God is always inviting you to rest and relax with him. As Hebrews says, it is always the Sabbath now for the Christian rest. Enjoy. But it, it just brings up for me Jesus and the woman of the well and, and John 4. And here's what happens. Jesus shows up. And he asks the woman for water, and she says, uh, yeah, uh, maybe. And uh, she has all these questions, and she goes through whys and hows and whats, and she wants all these answers, and then he, he shows that he's a prophet, essentially. And, and so she says, ah, a prophet, yeah. Um, so you know about me. That's awesome. When the great prophet comes, he's going to reveal all answers, and that's what she's about. And he just says, I'm him. <laughs> and immediately, she's changed. She does not stay around to ask for answers. She goes and tells people, I met the Messiah, I think. All of her reactions, her awareness, she was all up here. So what was Jesus' response? What was his awareness? This is very similar to what we see in Jacob. John did not have to put this in here, but verse 6, he says, Jesus was worn out from his journey and sat down. 
at the well. He is aware of his needs. And I love this. And here, here's another slide, but it's the one I just read. He just simply says, I am he, the one speaking with you. That's it. I am he. I am. He calls us and invites us to rest with him. More than not, Christian. This has to be our awareness. We are broken. We're never going to have all the right answers. But we are also lovable. One of my favorite authors um, is, is this uh, quote here. Anne Lamont says, if I were going to begin practicing the presence of God for the first time today, it would help to begin by admitting the most three terrible truths of our existence, that we are so ruined and so loved and in charge of so little. Here's what I didn't share about the uh, Fresh Prince reunion. Um, I love it. Will is just telling about this scene. And he says, I was so worried about getting James Avery, Uncle Phil, to like me as an actor for all these years uh, that even up to, you know, season whatever I said, uh, I was still messing up my lines when I was around him so badly. And he said, I just remember stopping. This is a live studio audience time. This is like the time where they're filming. And he just says, I just kept messing up this very powerful scene that we're hoping to write and do. And, and he said, I just started screaming because I could not get it right in front of essentially a father figure. I wanted to prove myself. And I love this. He says, James Avery just grabbed me by the shoulders and said, stop it. <laughs> he said, don't worry about all this. Focus here. Use me. Use this energy. And that whole scene will, I never knew this, Will ended up saying that whole scene ended up being ad-libbed after he got that note. And this is the end of that scene if you look at this next picture. And I think this is so often what God's calling us to. Don't worry about getting it right. I have ventured and adventured and have come and have stepped into your world to be with you. Just be with me. Just sit. Once another offers true empathy and love, the other can rest. And I know others in your life don't sometimes offer this, but God does. For those in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. You don't have to worry about the judge with the gavel standing over you. You have a God who came beside you and is saying, hug me. Be with me. Rest. Broken, sobbing, snotty. It's all welcome with the one who is always present. So, as another symbol... We have communion. We have this opportunity. While we can't see and feel God all the time, we can remember him. We have these Ebenezer monuments that we're called to reflect on and sit with and slow down our busy lives with 
and enjoy. So if you have bread, juice, wine with you, I'm going to invite you to take Lord's Supper with us. The night he was betrayed, it says that our Lord took bread, broke it, and passed it around. And he said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Do so in remembrance of me. Then he took a cup and did the same. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. Drink in remembrance of me. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash jtown.